Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for a sunny Sunday morning. Thank you, God, for bringing us here. We are looking to you now, God, and we worship you. We're thankful that you've brought us here. But Father, we want to understand how there is darkness and there is a light. And we pray, Lord, today that you would give us understanding. Help us. Give us eyes to see. God, set our hearts and our lives and our faith on Jesus. According to your word now, in his name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Revelation chapter 21. Toward the end, perhaps the last page in your Bible, it's the second to last chapter, Revelation 21. Last week we had a guest preacher here and thankful for him and and the emphasis on missions and what God is doing in their lives. We were glad to have them here. The two weeks before that, though, we were doing a series, a three-part series on light and dark, light and darkness, and the themes of that in, in Scripture. And the first week, which was three Sundays ago, we looked at John chapter 1, where it says uh, that the light came into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. All right, that's what John chapter 1 teaches us. We talked about how this is the way the Bible talks about, one of the ways the Bible talks about the world and it being fallen into sin and the answer to our sin problem in the world is Jesus and his love and his forgiveness and him dying on the cross to save us from our sins. And I talked that day about how... um, God is just this master teacher. He can talk about things in so many different ways and find a way for us to get it. In that same passage, he talks about Jesus being the creator, Jesus being the word. He says that Jesus is the life, and then he shifts into this analogy that Jesus is the life, and the life is the light. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It left us asking, is there light in our lives? Do we have the light? The second week, which would have been two Sundays ago, we looked at John chapter 5 and this statement, this compliment, if you will, that Jesus gives to John the Baptist. And Jesus says that John the Baptist was a burning and shining lamp. You may remember that sermon. And I talked to you about how uh, John the Baptist is a real example for us of what it means to be the light. Remember, the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus also says in the Sermon on the Mount that you are the light of the world, or rather that his people are the light of the world. And so is Jesus the light or are we the light? Well, the answer to that is yes and both. Because when you get God, when you get Christ, when he becomes your Savior, the Bible teaches that God comes to live inside of you. He comes to dwell inside of you through the Holy Spirit. And so if the light of the world lives inside of you, then you now are the light of the world. And so we say, okay, well, what's that look like? And we looked at John the Baptist. And I went on this kind of hard point about how being light in the world is not just good works. It is good works 
in the name of Jesus, good works in the conversation of Jesus. It is, it is being about Jesus is what it means to be the light. And John the Baptist was clearly that. You might remember me saying that we don't even have any record of John the Baptist doing good works. We have John the Baptist just talking all the time about Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. We have John the Baptist telling people they need to get ready for Jesus' coming. They need to repent because they're in their sins. And that is the person that Jesus calls a burning and shining lamp. Well, today, from Revelation chapter 21, I want us to kind of wrap up this three-part series on light and dark. I want today to be very different than, than how I would normally preach I hope today to tell a lot of stories. I hope that God will use these stories to get you thinking about your story. We all have a story, don't we? I don't know if you're thinking about writing an autobiography or not, but, and I don't know if I'd want to read it. But we do all have a story, don't we? We have a story. It's fascinating to think about when you were born and where you were born and who you were born to and some of the major changes that came into your life. You moved here, you moved there. What caused that? Some of the big people that came into your life, some of the big people that went out of your life. And then thinking about how God used all of that to make you who you are. That is interesting. It happens every year about this time. We have some seniors in high school, maybe they go to church here, maybe they don't, they're outside of here, who are starting to try to get everything ready for college, and they're working on college applications, and taking the ACT, trying everything they can to get into school, and one of the big, big burdens that comes with that is paying for college. You know that college is just off the charts with how expensive it is these days. And just a couple weeks ago, we had a young man who not a member of our church. God is really working in his life now. This is a young man that we met through the football team when we've been feeding them. And he showed up here, and he had a couple scholarship applications in hand, and he said, can you help me with these scholarships? Don't you like that? I do. I really like that a lot. I don't really know this kid. I don't have much of a relationship with him. But he came asking me to help him with the scholarship application, and I praise God for any opportunity like that. One of them was to a uh, college here in our state that is a, a Christian college. You know, it's hard to really say what a Christian college is, but you know what I mean, right? A, a Christian college. And so on this scholarship application, they asked him to fill out all this stuff and talk about it and do you have a church and, and all of that. But one of the questions on the scholarship application at a Christian college, which many of you might would imagine, is tell us your testimony. Well, he had left it blank. And I thought to myself, yeah, I'll help you with this. I know why you left it blank. He doesn't know what a testimony is. In many ways, folks, he doesn't have a testimony. A testimony is when you're testifying to what God has done in your life. Your testimony is not your story. Your testimony is God's working in your story. There's a big difference there. Everybody has a story. Only those who are in Christ have a testimony. Here's what God did to me. So I said, this was a Sunday evening. I said, you know, we don't have time right now to talk about a testimony. But you call me one day when you get out of school this week. He did on a Tuesday. 
And he came down here right after school, 2.40, something like that. And we took about an hour going over what a testimony is. How God is working in his life. He had one. He went on to tell me how just a few months ago, his best friend, playing football at Valley High School, had a pastor come and preach to their football team. And when that Valley High School football player heard that preacher preaching to their football team, God saved him. And that football player at Valley High School came to faith in Christ. A few weeks later, he got baptized. He's been joining the church. He calls that church, whatever church that is, he starts talking to his good friend at Fairdale High School and says, man, I've come to know Jesus, and you should too. That's what prompted that boy to start being at our church. That's what prompted him to say, can you help me with this application? That's what laid the groundwork for me to explain a testimony. When I started saying to him, it's not just your story, it's what God has done in your life to make your story have meaning, it clicked with him because he's been hearing other people talk about what God is doing in their lives. Everybody has a story, but do you have a testimony? Now, I really today want to hit hard that God is working here, that God is working in your lives But I want to ask you, do you see it? Are you in tune with it? Do you believe it? My question in the bulletin today is, is God really that source? Are you skeptical? Do you think you're a Christian, but you don't believe? You know, there are a lot of people that way. They say they're Christian based off of their their kind of moral convictions or kind of their moral practices, if you will, or even just some of the people they rub shoulders with moral beliefs, but they don't really believe in God and God's truth and God's ways, and they don't really follow the beliefs of God. There's There's a real disconnect between what they say they are and what they are living by believing that they are. I want to ask here today, is God really the source? Is he really, like we just sang Is he really this marvelous light that we are running into because God called us out of darkness? You know, that's not not just a cool song that, that Joe is leading us to sing. That is scripture straight out of Peter's epistle. He says that the church are people that God called out of that darkness, whatever the darkness is in your world, in your life, and God called you out of the darkness, and he set your look toward Christ, and now by faith, you are running toward the marvelous light of God. We can connect with the darkness that's in the world, and when we come to know God, we can connect with the light that he is. Is he really that source? Is he really? The boys and I have been working on learning the 12 disciples, and that's kind of hard, isn't it? I wonder if you know the 12 disciples, if you could name them right now. A lot of us know the first six, right, or the first two, or the first four. Peter and Andrew were the first two disciples called. James and John were the next two disciples called. Uh, Philip and Nathaniel were the next two disciples called. Matthew and Thomas were the next two disciples called, and that gets us to eight. But then those last four are a little bit harder. A little bit harder to understand. We've been working on that. Night after night, we're looking at the Bible, and there's some discrepancy there. You look at the different lists, right? Some of the names change. And we've been talking about what the 12 disciples are. But folks, I hope you've learned from, from me and from our church. Just learning lists like that will really do very little for your soul. So after we start memorizing their names, we'll start talking about what a disciple is. What is a follower of Jesus? 
And then I always get them to this big question. How did they become one? And they know the good, solid answers like, well, they believed, or, or they followed him. And those are legitimate answers for what a disciple is, but how did they become that disciple? I wonder if you know. They were minding their own business. They were fishing, if you will. Matthew was collecting taxes like he does. They had their own lives. And the Lord Jesus sought them out, called them out of that darkness, and called them to the marvelous light, and they came running. God did it. The disciples' testimony of why they are followers of Christ is because God had called them out of that and they followed him. Perhaps you are most familiar with the Apostle Paul's testimony. Saul, on the road to Damascus, a Pharisee of Pharisees, zealous to persecute the church, the followers of Jesus, vehemently opposed to those who think Christ is God and King and Lord and Savior. With his passion for living for God, his God, according to the Old Testament law, without the grace of salvation, Paul hated those who followed Christ as Lord. And on the road to Damascus to continue to seek out Christians, in a miracle experience, God speaks to him out of the sky, drops him to the ground, makes him blind, and says, Paul or Saul, why are you persecuting me? Make a long story short, God, in a miracle Damascus Road experience, God completely changed Saul's heart and therefore his life changed his name to Paul, and now he is the leader in our New Testament of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What a story. But my point in all of this is that God did it. And I want to challenge you here today. I really do want to challenge you. Did God do it in your life? And I want you here today to be bothered, unsettled, uneasy. If your Christianity, your church life, your being here today is something that you have done and you cannot find the testimony in your story because that is not the way it works. That does not bring glory to God. If your life is your life, if your Christian life is your life, if your church life is your life, all because of what you are doing, perhaps you have not truly surrendered yourself to Christ, sought his forgiveness for your sins, sought him with repentance and faith, and said, God, you truly are the source of my life. So is he really the source? Well, I start today at Revelation 21, and we're going to look at 1 verse 23 because... This is awesome. We're going to see a picture of heaven. This is the last book of the Bible. John is on this island of Patmos in exile. This is the Apostle John. And, and towards the end of the Bible, the end of Revelation, he now sees a vision of heaven. Look at verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So notice, there's, there's no temple there in heaven because the temple is God. And the Lamb. So we won't have an actual temple in heaven. We won't need one. God is that. But look at verse 23. And the city 
has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, gives it light. And its lamp is the lamp. Y'all, John is saying something absolutely miraculous. And if you don't believe here today, then you don't get this. You, you shake your head at this notion. Y'all, we are going to be in heaven one day by the blood of Jesus, by the grace of God, through faith in him. And in heaven, there will be plenty of light, but there will not be what science tells us is the source of light. There will be no sun in heaven, and it will be daylight. How can that be? Why is that? How is that possible? Well, verse 23 tells us they won't need, we won't need the sun or moon there to shine, for the glory of God gives it light. The lamp in heaven is the lamb that was slain, the risen, victorious Jesus Christ. He is the source. Now, you may have all the doubts in the world. You may not believe that. You may have questions. But let me tell you this. None of us have been to heaven, so we don't actually know that it's not. There's no way that we could say, no way, we've not been to heaven. And so I want to challenge you today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is enough of a source, enough of a power, that in heaven he can be the light himself? Do you believe that? Is God strong enough to do that, big enough to do that? Is he powerful enough to do that? You remember in the first sermon I talked about the illustration of the iPad and how great an iPad is, but if you don't have the charger and the battery dies, it is just so worthless and it, it misses its point. Do you believe that God is ultimately that source? Is your heart beating today because of God? Were you able to walk up the stairs to get to our sanctuary because of God's grace in your life? Do you understand that God is that much of a source? And then do you believe that in heaven he is that source as well? That's a question you have to ask and a question you have to answer. But I want to ask you now if you would turn all the way to the first page of your Bible. So I don't know if this is the last page of your Bible. Possibly. It's the second to last chapter. But now I want you to turn all the way to the first page of your Bible. Genesis chapter 1 walks us through creation. Tells us what God did on the first day, the second day, and all of that. And it's, it's fascinating. Look at verse 3. And God said, let there be light. You know, this is our theme, light and darkness. And God said right there at the beginning, the third verse in the Bible, let there be light. And when he said it, there was light. Verse 4, and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening there was morning the first day. So day one, God has created light. He separated night from, night from day, light from darkness. This is awesome. There's light there. Creation is now rolling, if you will. There is something in place. There wasn't anything in place before. God, listen to me, God is eternal. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the one true God, and God is eternal. He is forever in the past and forever into the future, and everything else he made, he is the creator. So there wasn't even 
a universe. There wasn't even a solar system. There wasn't even an earth at the time. There wasn't even a, a sun. There wasn't even light and darkness. God created those things. Again, do you believe that? Well, this is what the Word of God wants us to know. That was the first day. You get down to verse 8, and it says, And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, there was morning the second day. You get down to verse 13, and it says, And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. So now we are three days in, some 72 hours into creation, and we have some things, and we do not have some things yet. It's an awesome read. Verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heaven to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Folks, God created the sources of the light three days, la three days after he had made the light. The sources of light have all kinds of meaning and purpose, and he speaks to it here. He says, make them so that there would be, let them be for signs, let them be for seasons, let them be for days, let them be for years. Let all that stuff come together based off the sources. But the one thing you and I need to understand from the very, very beginning of the Bible is God didn't need them. He didn't need them. God is everything that he needs in and of himself. He doesn't need anything else. He makes things and he uses them. He is altogether complete and perfect and holy and content in who he is. When God creates, he just does it to get more glory. The Bible wants us to see this from the very beginning. At the first day, there is light. It's not until the fourth day, three whole days later, that God says, let there be a sun. In other words, you didn't need a sun to have light when you have God. Now, we know that, 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 that our world that we live in now needs the sun. But we do know a truth greater than that. That for as great and wonderful and necessary as the sun is for so many things. And you do know how important the sun is, right? Right? God is so much greater. He made the sun. He spoke, let there be a sun, and the sun was there. God is great. And so at the beginning of our Bible, I mean literally the very, very beginning, day one, we have light, and day four is when the sun comes, and you and I are to think, wow, do I believe that? Do I believe that God is able to be that much of a source that we don't even have to have the sun. And then we get to the very, very end of our Bibles, all the way to Revelation chapter 21, where you could say that God is wrapping it up. And he says again, when I create the new heavens and the new earth, when we get there and everything is right, there will be light, but we won't need the sun anymore. I will be finished with it. 
For the source that created everything just out of speaking it, the source there will certainly be powerful enough to maintain heaven in its light. And the lamp there will be the lamb. Y'all, Revelation 21, 23 says that the lamp of heaven is the lamb. Do you remember back to John chapter 1 where it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. What you and I understand right now, in some ways, we will bask in the fullness of its glory in heaven. Christ truly is a light. Christ truly is a lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And whoever believes in him, it says, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this metaphor and this analogy and this comparing the sinful world and the sinful struggles that we have will come together so beautifully in heaven because our experience of turning from our sins and saying, oh God, I hate those sins. Forgive me of those sins. I want to live for you. I want to love you most. I don't want to love me most. I want to love you most. And I want to be satisfied in you will make even more sense when we see that he is that source. He is the one that did that miraculous, gracious work in our lives to cause us to see him and love him. He was the one, if you will, that turned the light bulb on in our dark lives. He is the one, if you will, that called us out of darkness and led us into the light. He is the source. The Bible is teaching us through and through that he is the source. It is the testimony of anybody who has ever truly experienced God that God did it. Let me say that again. It is the testimony of anybody who's ever truly experienced God that God did it. And I know that it is extremely common for us to want people to attend church with us. We are constantly asking people to come to church. We want people to, to know the Lord Jesus. But in a world that, is, that, that operates like that, which that's not bad, it is possible that somebody can see that we go to church so they come to church. That somebody could see that we have good manners, like thank the Lord for this good sunny day. And they have that. And their life kind of becomes Christian-like, if you will. And they don't have one bit of the source driving their lives. And I want to ask you here today, is God really a source? Last night when I was putting the girls... Well, I wasn't putting them to bed. Val was going to, but I wanted to read the Bible with them, and so we were reading the Bible a little bit. We finished up in their little kid's Bible, the story of Noah, and we turned the page, and there's a new character, and I said, "Uh uh-oh, we got a new guy in here, and Carolina said, yeah, that's Moses. It wasn't Moses. I said, no, it's not, and she said, okay, it's Abraham then. I said, yeah, it is. It's Abraham. And God made him some promises. He wasn't sure if he was going to believe them. They seem too big and so crazy. God's going to give his old body and his wife's old body. God's going to give them a baby, and they'd never had a baby before. All of that was going to happen. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God called him outside and showed him all the stars. And you know what? And I thought I was about to hit the home run, and Carolina goes, yeah, he believed him. Yeah, that's right. He believed him. 
we kept going though, and Carolina's spitting out all these answers to me, and I started thinking, how, how do you know all these? She said, Mommy's been teaching them to me. I know these answers because Mama's been teaching them to me. You know why Val wants to teach our kids the truths of God? Because she feels like the truths of God have changed her life. God did it through his word. You know why she believes that? Because 30-some years ago, actually 33 or 32 to be exact, her mother Teresa, when Val was in elementary age, was teaching her the truths at home. And God saved Valeria. And Val became a Christian as a kid as her mom was teaching her the Bible. Val's mom and dad raised her to believe the promises of God. They taught her that. And it's in her testimony where she says, it is the truths of God that God has used to show me the truth and to lead me away from my sins, convict me of my sins, that I would trust in Christ. It was in the 1950s. Some of y'all remember those. In Ecuador where it's like 98 or 99% nominal Catholic. A man named Lucio Valenzuela was a nominal Catholic just like everybody else in Ecuador. He started being bugged by a missionary in Ecuador to come attend church one time. 1950s. He said, no, nah, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, and rejected for so long. Said no, and said no, and said no. And finally, one Sunday, he said, all right, I'll come. Lucio Valenzuela, in the 1950s, father of nine kids, he took a plunge, took a dare, took up an offer, took up an invite, and attended a Bible-preaching jesus crucified preaching church just because he had been invited and God saved his soul. Lucio Valenzuela went home and told his wife she came to know the Lord. And they began to raise their children. Their oldest child is Edgar Valenzuela, Val's dad. Missionaries in Ecuador preaching the gospel he believed. If you were to talk to Val or her dad or her grandfather, Lucio, that has passed away, their testimony is crystal clear. When we didn't see it coming, God saved us. The Bible teaches us that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't compete. It can't stand up to it. The light of Jesus and the power to save can overcome the darkness when God starts working to soften a heart, to break down the chains, to set a sinner free. 
Is God really the source? We have a young lady in our church. I'm just going to keep telling stories. We have a young lady in our church who, this past Christmas, was sitting at home with some friends and watching a movie. And a Southeast Christian church commercial came on that said, Christmas at Southeast this year is going to be awesome. Would you consider coming? She'd not been to church, not been involved in church, not had much experience with church. And she's, she leaned over to some of the people and she said, you know what, that, that may be nice to go to a, a Christmas service at a church. We've never done that before. You want to do it? And they said, sure. That night she began to have horrifying nightmares. I'm not talking about a teenager. I'm talking about somebody that's college age. She began to have horrifying nightmares. They were messing her up. They were, she was scared. She couldn't sleep. She began to tell her parents, I'm, I'm scared to death. I'm having these nightmares. And they're like, what's going on? Have you gotten involved with some bad things? You've been watching movies? No. This went on for three or four nights in a row, horrifying nightmares. Nothing to prompt it. She said, I didn't normally pray, but I decided enough's enough. I don't know what else to do. She said, I got down beside my bed, and I kneeled down beside my bed, and I said, God, I don't normally pray to you. These nightmares are scaring me. God, if you'll remove these nightmares from me and make them stop, I'll find a way to find you. That's what she said. I will find a way to find you. To this day, she's never had a nightmare again. Since the nightmare stopped, she went to some people that she knew. Actually, some, some, some of her brother's friends that attend this church said, can I go to church with you? She showed up at this church completely cold one day, didn't know anybody except for those people. Right around Christmas time, hearing me preach through the gospel of Mark, and Jesus saved her soul. She heard the gospel. She heard about Jesus. She heard about how life's about God. And God gripped her, convicted her of her sins, and she came down this aisle, and her answer was, I need Jesus in my life. She became a believer. It's only been a few months, actually three or four months now, and she is growing in her faith. God did it. A few years ago, actually several years ago, two twin brothers up at Fairdale High School, never really been to church, played basketball a little bit, didn't get much playing time, just to be honest. teacher at Fairdale High School named Lauren Renfro went around to everybody he could asking would you give a little donation I'm trying to take kids to summer camp I'm trying to take kids to summer camp would you pay for some kids to go and Cedric and Sidney Jones said if you'll pay for us we'll go to camp and they went to Campbellsville University with about 500, 500 other high schools and at that summer camp the preacher preached Jesus changes lives. And God saved them. When they didn't see it coming, God saved them. He did that. Cedric and Sidney are two of the greatest people around our church. Two of the most humble people that I know. And we are all encouraged by our brothers in Christ. When I was 15 years old, Three brothers showed up at the grocery store where I was working. 
and asked me if I'd like to stop working at a grocery store, and I said, I sure would. He said, well, we're about to build us a golf course. We're going to bulldoze that forest right there. We're going to build a, a, a golf course from scratch, and we'd love for you to come help us. I was stoked. The day I turned 16, I got a job with them. I worked from 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, all through that. I loved golf course work. It's called golf turf management. I loved turf grass, irrigation, water systems, grass, dirt, everything. I loved it, I loved it, I loved it. I asked my dad to help me to find a college where I could major in golf turf management. I went by myself to the only place I could find, 500 miles to South Georgia where I didn't know a single person to major in golf turf management. Who's ever heard of that, right? My dad loves that sort of stuff, and he was so happy that I was into it. My mom or my dad never had the first inkling of ministry. Nobody in my family's ever been involved in ministry. I never heard of an aunt or an uncle or a grandpa or a grandma that had anything to do with ministry. I never had anybody close to me do anything with ministry. I never had a friend whose dad was in the ministry. I didn't know anything about ministry. And to be completely honest, I didn't even know what a seminary was. I had never even heard the word. I did the, casual, I did the casual, occasional slip-up where I called a seminary a cemetery, like many of y'all do. But while I was grinding it out in golf turf management, out of nowhere, God convicted me and said, led me to go into the ministry. And I honestly have no other explanation except for that's what God did in my life. We've got stories after stories after stories. I love to tell y'all stories. I tell y'all stories all the time. When I get to speak at all these different schools and camps and stuff, I'm constantly telling y'all stories. Is God the one doing that? Or are we crazy? Is God the one doing it in your life? I want to ask you here today, have you ever thought about it that deeply? Could you keep going in this direction if God's not true? Could you keep going in the direction that you're going if God's not true? If you could, he's not the source. If you could, he's not the source of your life. Is your life the life of him in you? Is your light the light of him in you? Is your darkness something that's been exposed by the light and so you are willing to admit it, confess it, and turn from it? God sent the light into the world to become our sin. And when Jesus took our sins on himself on the cross, God killed him. He died. Three days later, he was back, alive. What a picture of that Friday night, that Saturday, that early Sunday morning was so dark. People were confused and worried. The disciples were hiding. Everything looked dark. But once they saw that he was alive, the light was shining. 
And that is the testimony of every child of God. I once was lost in darkness, but now I'm found. I have seen the light that life's about God. And I got this way because Jesus did it in me. Is that you? Is God the source, the light source in you? If he is, by all means, lean into him. Pursue him. Turn from your sins, grow in him. Go after God. Into marvelous light, I'm running. Out of shame, out of darkness, out of blindness. Run into the light. And if you are not in Christ, if you're not surrendered to him, if he's not the source, same thing, run to him. Why wait? Why stay in darkness? Why allow sins in your life to stay there bothering you, burdening you, convicting you, hurting you, distracting you? Come to the light of Christ that we would be exposed and then the darkness be overcome. Everybody who comes to Christ, he says, he will by all means not cast out. God, the light, receives sinners. In Revelation 21, it's talking about heaven, and we won't need a light there. In Genesis 1, he's talking about creation. We didn't actually need a light there, did we? Until he made it on the fourth day. That's power. That is a powerful God. Jesus Christ crucified for sinners, risen from the grave, is the same power to change your heart. Believe in him today. Run to Christ. If you're here and you are not trusting in Christ, do it today. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is the source of changed lives. Thank you, God, that we have heard testimonies and testimonies and testimonies of what you have done in people's lives. Father, I pray that we would understand that's what it means to have a testimony, that our story collides with God's story in our life. And I pray, Father, today that we would believe you. Oh, Father, if there's anybody here that needs their story to become a testimony and that you are leading them to trust in you, oh, Father, may they respond today. If we're here today, Father, and we don't, don't know that you're the source of our life, may we come to you now. May we turn from our sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.